Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's word. Well, greeting saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. I trust that your time in the Word has been profitable. As we continue this series on the Christian's relationship to culture, I want to continue to draw out some of the various distinctions and ideas that frame this discussion from other perspectives beyond, say, the evangelical perspective. In our last episode, we looked at some of the different views throughout history of how Christians do relate to culture. But I want to, in this particular episode, kind of turn towards maybe some more of the theological leanings that help, that have helped to define how Christians look at culture uh, and try to engage with culture throughout the centuries. And in order to do this, we need to understand that in, in the scope of theology, in the scope of theology, there is, you know, what happens at the beginning. So how does somebody interpret Genesis, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, and what Genesis communicates to us about God's design and order for life? And then you start at the beginning, of course, in Genesis, and then you go all the way through the scriptures and you come to Revelation. That's the end. And there are other books besides Revelation that talk a lot about the end times, how this world will finish out, like what the end of the story will be. Books such as Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, they all kind of reference, and Isaiah, they all reference things that happen in the end times, what we would call the end times. And it's really important to understand that theological systems are built on a comprehensive view of the beginning to the end. Okay? So when people approach life, they often approach it through their theological system, and what your theological system says about the beginning and the end will impact how you think you should relate to culture or how you should relate to other people, okay? Whether that's the church and Israel, whether that's how you interact with believers and non-believers, your theological framework will dictate how you engage those around you with the truth, okay? Now, we need to understand that there are basically four predominant views of what happens in the end times. There are basically four ways, like another way to summarize this is there's four perspectives on how God wraps up the story of history. Okay, so Genesis, the beginning of history, Revelation, the end of history. How is God bringing all of life and history to a conclusion. And how you identify or how you think about the end times will often affect greatly your relationship to culture or what you think your relationship should be to culture. So I'm going to give you a brief rundown of these four views, okay? These four views. First, the first view I think that we need to look at is what's known as the uh, historical premillennialism. Okay, historical premillennialism. This view, okay, places the return of Jesus Christ just before a 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth, and it's just after a period of great apostasy 
and tribulation, okay? In some regards, historic premillennialism is similar to another one of the predominant views, which is dispensational premillennialism. It varies, okay, it varies in that historical premillennialism has a, a different way of interpreting the scriptures and a different identity of how the church and Israel relate to one another. So in historic premillennialism, it, it, it views Israel and the church in this way, that the church is the fulfillment of Israel, okay? And the kingdom of God is present through the Spirit of God since Pentecost, and it is to be experienced in fullness in its real physical form during the millennium after Christ's return, okay? And this particular view also takes a look at a doctrine known as the rapture, okay? And it says that in the rapture, the saints who are both living and dead will meet the Lord in the clouds immediately preceding the millennial reign. So in the timeline, if you're making a a calendar, a a timeline history here, a chronology, that's the word I'm looking for, you would have um, a period of apostasy and tribulation, then you would have the rapture and the return of Christ. Then you would have the millennium, a thousand-year reign on earth, okay? And at the end of the millennium, you'll have Satan loosed, and there will be the battle of Gog and Magog. So that's a, a pretty common view, the historic premillennialism. A second view that is similar to that but different is what is called dispensational premillennialism. And dispensational premillennialism, okay, means that Christ will return to earth before his literal 1,000-year reign. Dispensational premillennialists also believe that the rapture of the church, both the saints who are alive and who have died previously, the rapture will occur prior to a seven-year great tribulation upon the earth. All right, and, and this if you were uh, a dispensational premillennialist, you would say the rapture occurs before the 70th week of Daniel. Okay, so there are 69 weeks, 70 weeks prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. Um, 69 of the weeks have been fulfilled. As a dispensationalist, you would say there's a parenthesis between the 69th week and the 70th week, and that is known as the church age, and it's an indeterminate period of time. At the rapture, the church age ends and the tribulation begins. So then you have that seven-year, that 70th week of Daniel, period of tribulation. And then after that, Christ returns to the earth for a literal 1,000-year reign, okay? So that's that's how dispensational premillennialism looks at this particular topic of end times, okay? Now, then you have um, two other perspectives. And I think if you're looking at Christianity as a whole, so like we're just taking all the different denominations, um, all the different varieties and flavors of Christianity, if you will, if we're looking at all of them together, I would say that these next two um, categories are by far the most popular categories. I would go so far as to say that post-millennialism is probably the most popular category, um, but amillennialism 
is not too far away, okay? There's a lot of amillennialists as well. So let me go through these last two categories, okay? So post-millennialism, all right? The, the post-millennialist, okay, believes that the millennium is an era, not a literal 1,000 years, during which Christ will reign over the earth, um, not from a literal and earthly throne, but through the gradual increase of the gospel and its power to change lives. The post-millennialist, therefore, believes that it is the responsibility of believers to help usher in the second coming of Christ. This kingdom, this second coming of Christ, will be established through human efforts, okay? And the church has a mandate and a responsibility to bring in this particular kingdom. All right, so the second coming will close, will actually occur after a predetermined amount of time, one which is unknown, has occurred, and the the earth is sufficiently transformed so that Christ is ready to reign and take over, okay? So that's the, that would be the post-millennial view, all right? Post-millennial view. Christ returns to the earth after the millennium, or the kingdom of God, and he will then establish a reign after the church has done enough work to prepare the world and to prepare society for Christ to rule and take over. Okay, now finally, we get to what is known as the amillennial view. Okay, so the prefix a means no, and the amillennial view, therefore, means that there is no literal millennium. There is no literal political kingdom of God on the earth, okay? The future kingdom of God, as foretold in passages such as Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, also in Isaiah 63, 64, 66, these passages talk about the kingdom of God as being totally spiritual in nature, okay? So the amillennial view denies any kind of literal millennial reign, Rather than a defined period of like a thousand years or even um, like a, a non-literal thousand-year period, so like a, a thousand years is just symbolic of some longer period, the amillennialist says that Christ has been ruling and reigning presently since the day of Pentecost, and he has been ruling spiritually, all right? And there will not be any major event— um, I'm trying to be careful here. I want to be honest, okay? The, there's not going to be any um, great catastrophe or major event that needs to happen before Christ comes in to rule at the end of the age, but he will just come to rule at the right time, okay? He will come to rule at the right time, and then there will be a resurrection, and Christ will usher in the church to the eternal state, and those who are wicked will be judged at that time. Okay, so that's kind of the amillennial perspective, and that's um, that's a pretty common perspective as well. Again, I, I would say just my cursory understanding of history and my evaluation of, of what I've seen uh, in Christianity is that the post-millennial view is the most common view held by the majority of Christians today. Uh, there are some well-known Christians who I agree with who happen to be amillennialist. I believe 
a man, a preacher by the name of Vodi Bakum is one. I, I greatly respect Vodi Bakum. Uh, find a lot of wisdom in what he has to say, but uh, we disagree in this particular area of eschatology. Okay. Now, let's think about these categories. Okay. So we've got um, historic premillennialism, dispensational premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. In the historic premillennialism and in the dispensational premillennialism, both of those categories rely upon the the church to be the church, okay? And they the church has a specific mission, and the mission doesn't include ushering in Christ's kingdom. All right? It includes preaching the gospel. It includes... Uh, doing what kind of works that God has prepared for the church during this particular dispensation, but it doesn't, it doesn't involve the transformation of society to such a degree that society is ready for Christ to come back, okay? So you'll find that those who are historic premillennialists and dispensational premillennialists, they tend to not think about the Christian's relationship to culture as much, or they say the Christian's relationship to culture is to preach the gospel. The emphasis is on gospel preaching because that's our main mission right now. Our main mission is not to reform the culture. Our main mission is not to make things ready for Christ's return. Our main mission is to preach so that souls can be saved and that the gospel can go forth in the world and that when Christ comes back, there will be a bride who is ready to receive their, their groom, okay? So the bride will be ready for the groom. That's, that's kind of the, the thinking in general, okay? I'm not saying, again, we, we got to understand we're speaking in generalities. That's kind of the thinking of those who are in the historic premillennial and the um, dispensational premillennial category. But if you go to the postmillennialist, and you understand that the postmillennialist believes that it is the responsibility of the church to help society improve, to improve the laws of society, to improve the quality of society, to bring about a Judeo-Christian ethic and morality to bear upon society. When you see that that is part of their theological understanding of how the end times unfold, you could understand why those who would be post-millennial in their understanding of the end times would be much more willing to engage culture or think that it's important for culture to reflect Judeo-Christian values and morality. Because, obviously, they're trying to improve culture and improve the world. Okay, so we're going to bring this out to a worldwide level. They're trying to improve the world to such a degree that it's ready for Christ to return. So they see that from a theological perspective as part of the mission. This is their mission, to bring about this change. And so if, if that's part of your theology of the end times, it's absolutely going to affect how you think about the culture. It's going to affect how you think about um, what Christians should do in a culture. All right? And it's really out of this branch of end times thinking, the, those who are post-millennial, that a lot of uh, what is known as like dominion theology, that's kind of the old name for it. And then there's a, a bit of a resurrection of this 
Dominion theology, known as uh, Christian nationalism, those kind of thoughts spring forth out of this post-millennial thinking. Why? Because they view it as theologically essential for culture to be ready for Christ. And just imagine the juxtaposition here, okay? You're a post-millennialist. You see that the culture of America is turning away from God. It's clearly, decidedly less Christian today than it was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. And you're saying to yourself, well, if we want to usher in the kingdom of God, America can't move away from God. America has to move more towards God. So that would lead you to certain conclusions and certain points of action that would be maybe different than somebody who is historic premillennial or dispensational premillennial. You know, the, the dispensational premillennialist, and I'll speak for this camp because this, this is where I'm at, the dispensational premillennialist is kind of like, yeah, um, America is not a Christian nation anymore. They, they definitely need the gospel. And the, the postmillennialist is saying America needs the gospel, plus we need to legislate Christian morals in every aspect of culture so that the whole culture swings back to be more godly or more reflective of a Judeo-Christian ethic. Now, the amillennialist, I think it's a little bit harder to pin down where they're at in terms of how they view the engaging of culture based on their theological convictions regarding the millennium kingdom, because they view Christ as already reigning, all right? So Christ Christ is already reigning in, in a sense, but his reign is not yet visible. So, and to be fair, I don't disagree with that. I, I do believe that Jesus is reigning in heaven, okay? Again, I'm a dispensational premillennialist. I do believe Jesus is reigning from heaven, but he's not, um, he's not reigning in the sense that he's reigning at the end of the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, when he establishes a literal kingdom on earth, and there's a thousand-year period of the righteous reign of Christ on this earth. That, that's definitely a different kind of reigning. The amillennialist is like, Christ is reigning now, and at an indeterminate point in the future, he will come back and establish the, his kingdom, okay, and there will be a judgment for all the wicked and a transformation for all the righteous, and then we'll go into the eternal state. So I'm not super familiar with every aspect of how the amillennialist views the the coming of Christ, like whether they can do something to help usher that in quickly, or whether it's just like, hey, we're going to just minister, we're going to fulfill our New Testament responsibilities, and uh, when Christ comes, then Christ comes. I would, I would guess, okay, this is my guess, that the amillennialists would probably have a lot more in common with the postmillennialist in terms of thinking that the church has a responsibility to affect culture and society, and therefore they would automatically want to be more engaged and more transformative of the culture through whatever means are available to them at that particular time, okay? So, in these first two episodes, then, I, I've tried to set forth for you kind of 
the just the general attitude of Christians and different denominations throughout history, but also how a person's um, theological persuasion will affect their understanding of how a Christian relates to culture. And I think this is really important to understand because when you get into conversations with people, you can start arguing about terms, you can start arguing about application without actually knowing or understanding what the fundamentals are for why they say what they say or why they believe what they believe. You can become very frustrated, and they can become very frustrated. And the last thing that we really want to do as Christians, I think, is to frustrate one another through not understanding terms correctly, not understanding positions correctly. And um, again, I'm I'm trying to be fair, representative to each of these positions. I'm there is absolutely more nuance than what I can share in a in a twenty minute podcast episode or in the first twenty minutes of this particular podcast episode. But I I want to frame the argument this way so that you know where these various ideas are or where various levels of interaction come from when it talks about, or when we start to talk about how a Christian relates to culture and what a Christian does within the culture. Now for me, I've tried to be very transparent. I'm, I'm definitely looking at this from an evangelical perspective, but an evangelical a dispensational, pre-millennial perspective. Um, those who look at this from the perspective that I shared often stick to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, as the primary way to engage the culture. What's our responsibility? To make disciples of all the nations. How do we do that? By going, baptizing, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And one of the main kind of premises of thought of those who are dispensational premillennialists is like, look, when you read the book of Acts or when you read the letters that Paul wrote or Peter wrote or even the Apostle John, you don't see the apostles arguing for the transformation of culture. You see the apostles arguing for the transformation of individual lives, for the sanctification of the believer, for believers to do that which they've been called to be, all right? In other words, if you've been called to be a Christian, you have a duty, a moral obligation to act and live in a certain way. And the church, as the called-out ones, the church, as the called-out ones, has a responsibility to be the transformation or the transforming power by sharing the gospel and by doing the things that Jesus says the church should do in the present age. Okay, and and what that has often looked like is we we build a bubble. We build a bubble around ourselves. We build a bubble around, you know, the the people we hang out with, the institutions that we interact with. We build a bubble around different cultural phenomenon that are occurring so that we're not tainted by the world but at the same time, we were trying to protect ourselves from being tainted by the world. But at the same time, I think one of the criticisms is we're not speaking into the world. We're not speaking up against the the wickedness or whatever it is that the culture is forcing upon us at the present time. 
All right, so that's that's kind of the historical perspective that I have grown up in, that I am coming from personally, and that I'm really trying to think through. Like, is this is this really the right way that Christians should interact with culture? Is this how we interact with a pagan society? Is is our interaction, in other words, is our interaction with a pagan society basically limited to sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and then doing discipleship amongst the local church? Do we have no other role or responsibility or obligation to say anything about what goes on in the culture in which we live? I think those are really legitimate questions, and I I think there are very many godly people who will answer those questions in different ways. And, um, you know, one of my fellow pastors really challenged my thinking on this. He he asked me, um, he asked me to do a, a teaching assignment in, for Sunday school on what is known as the creation ordinances. So those things that come out of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 that are things that God establishes. They are truths and design patterns that God established at the beginning that should continue on to today they are not they have not been superseded by some other law they are continuing to be present in the world economy in which God designed and so I did this teaching assignment on the creation ordinances and that really kind of challenged my assumptions about okay what do Christians do what what should Christians endorse do Christians need to have strong positions on different, matters of politics or on even local local um, local governments or like I'm trying to think of regional level issues so something that might affect you at the county level or something that might affect you maybe you live in a village or a small city um, should Christians have any say on those things should Christians have any say on what happens in the public school system is or is that just something that you know we don't we don't really have an opportunity to speak to now earlier this year the same pastor really asked me to apply the things that i learned or that i gleaned from teaching that class to the idea of how does a christian relate to culture do the creation ordinances have anything to say to christians today and as a result of that, I, I wrote a, a, about a 12-page paper that I presented to our elders, and that study is what I'm presenting to you now. Some of that study is what I'm presenting to you now. But I think it's really important to establish kind of the, the big-picture historical background so that when we start to get in and define these terms, we're doing so from a biblical perspective. And um, as as we go to the next episode, episode three or part three, I'm going to start to share with you what I gleaned from my studies in the Word and how my approaching the Word with with a different question in mind and approaching the text kind of holistically, like trying to say, okay, well, Genesis has something to say about this as well as the New Testament, um, as well as maybe some other books in the Old Testament and the book of Revelation. How, how, does, how does having a broader perspective change, or does it change? Does it change my perspective at all on how the Christian relates to culture and what, 
we should be doing in the area or in the places in which we live. So I hope that you'll enjoy uh, these episodes as I unpack them for you, and I hope you'll be challenged yourself to think through this issue. And I would invite your comments and feedback, so please feel free to uh, leave a comment under the podcast if you want to, or email me at uh, mrjed2007 at gmail.com. Let me know what you think, or if you have any additional questions or comments, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much. God bless you.